Friday morning and welcome to the Hoopercast Friday Film News Dump. This is where I break down a few film news stories that we didn't get to this week and then we'll leave you with some thoughts before the weekend. Uh, we begin with the big story. And I say the big story. It really was the big series of stories. The big series of events over the last couple of weeks was the Black Widow lawsuit. So things have been pretty crazy since we last sat down. In the wake of Disney's decision to give day and date release of Marvel's Black Widow to premiere access on Disney Plus at the same time as its theater exhibition, this and the subsequent drop in profits after the first week, Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney. So we have a couple articles on People by Alexia Fernandez. Um, so first, she she sues Disney over the streaming release and alleges a breach of contract. So first, she sues them. The article says, the actress filed a lawsuit against Disney on Thursday in Los Angeles. This is last Thursday, alleging the conglomerate breached her contract when it released this summer's blockbuster Black Widow on its Disney Plus streaming service at the same time that it was released in movie theaters. In the lawsuit obtained by People, Johansson 36 said her Black Widow contract with Disney's Marvel Entertainment was for a guaranteed exclusive movie theater release with the bulk of her salary depending in large part on the film's box office performance. The suit alleges, quote, Disney intentionally induced Marvel's breach of the agreement without justification in order to prevent Ms. Johansson from realizing the full benefit of her bargain with Marvel. So the first question we have to ask is why? Why would Disney do that? Is it because they're cheap? I doubt it. Her attorney, John Berlinski, said it's no secret that Disney is releasing films like Black Widow directly onto Disney Plus to increase subscribers and thereby boost the company's stock price. Ah, and that it's hiding behind COVID-19 as a pretext to do so. But ignoring the contracts of the artists responsible for the success of its films in furtherance of this short-sighted strategy violates their rights, and we look forward to proving as much in court. This will surely not be the last case where Hollywood talent stands up to Disney and makes it clear that whatever the company may pretend, it has a legal obligation to honor its contracts. So there's their statement from her side. Disney fired back. Disney slams her lawsuit and they got a little personal, weirdly personal, uncharacteristically personal. The Walt Disney Company said in a statement, there is no merit whatsoever to this filing. The lawsuit is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Disney has fully complied with Ms. Johansson's contract, and furthermore, the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with Premier Access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she has received to date. So then her representation said, excuse me, this is from Variety, Black Widow lawsuit, CAA slams Disney for releasing Scarlett Johansson's salary. So f less than 24 hours later, Friday morning, her talent agency rose to her defense and slammed Disney for leaking her salary. Brian Lohr, the co-chairman of Created Artists Agency, said in a statement, they have shamelessly and falsely accused Ms. Johansson of being insensitive to the global COVID pandemic in an attempt to make her appear to be someone they and I know she isn't. 
The company included her salary in their press attempts in their press statement in an attempt to weaponize her success as an artist and businesswoman as if that were something she should be ashamed of. Scarlett is extremely proud of the work that she and all of the actors, writers, directors, producers, and the Marvel creative team have been a part of for well over a decade. Disney's direct attack on her character and all else they implied is beneath the company that many of us in the creative community have worked with successfully for decades. I'll say this real quick. I don't think they, well, I'll, I'll get into the, my opinions a little bit. So then Kevin Feige, meanwhile, reportedly is pissed, according to um, this stray article on IGN. He's apparently was, quote, angry and embarrassed by this situation, uh, siding with Johans or, you know, implying that, you know, Disney was being ridiculous, handling this badly. But the Variety article adds at the end, quote, Johansson's suit could inspire other actors in Disney films to engage in similar legal action against the company for sending movies to Disney Plus and foregoing the traditional release in cinemas. You'd be right about that. In Hollywood Reporter, here's an uh, uh, article by Eric Gardner. Gerard Butler sues over Olympus has fallen profits. So now we have people not just with Disney, but across the board here. In a lawsuit filed Friday in Los Angeles Superior Court, Gerard Butler alleges being owed at least $10 million from the success of Olympus Has Fallen, the 2013 blockbuster about an assault on the White House. We reviewed that on the Hoopercast, by the way, and gave it a really positive review. Butler brings a fraud claim with the assertion that defendants New Image, Millennium Media, and Padre Nuestro Productions never intended to pay him net profits. The film has grossed about $170 million worldwide, yet he says he hasn't seen a penny in net profits. With an audit of accounting statements raising flags in multiple areas on the revenue side, both domestically and foreign. So here's what uh, the suit says. The actor nods to how the producers are currently fighting with it. Sorry, this is the article. The, uh, how the producers are currently fighting with the DGA over pension payments and states that New Image and Millennium are deducting residuals never paid out. So he's like, they're already doing a bunch of a bunch of, uh, you know, shady shit to other people here, trying not to pay out profits. And among those people includes me. The suit also attacks a comprehensive premeditated scheme to allegedly hide money and deprive Butler of net profits with word of agreements with distributors structured so that not all gross receipts have to be reported. The case is being handled by attorneys at Greenberg Cluster. Millennium didn't immediately comment about the suit. Damn. Anybody else? Yes. In fact, from Gizmodo by Jermaine Lucier um, in this article about their about their you know, about the team firing back at Disney. Here's something he added at the end here, quote, and it doesn't end there. Matt Baloney, former, not Baloney, like the meat, Bell Oney, <laughs> former editor at the Hollywood Reporter said in his newsletter, that Emma Stone might be considering similar lawsuit with regards to Cruella, which Disney released exclusively via its streaming services, Premier Access. Also, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski may have looked at similar options with their Paramount film, A Quiet Place Part 2. And that's with Blunt's latest film, Jungle Cruise, coming to theaters and Disney Plus Premier Access, or have recently, recently having done that. So there's this implication that like a lot of, oh, my, let, me, let me keep going. Hold on a second. I'm so sorry. I just, I want to, I want to say one more thing, one more, one more car. I'll give my editorial in a minute. Here's a little bit more from Variety, Brent, from Brent Lang and Gene Medeus. Um, here's a Variety article. Um, 
elaborating a little bit more. Here's a quote. Salary disputes between top talent and studios are becoming more commonplace in the streaming era. Agents erupted when Warner Brothers sent its entire 2021 slate to HBO Max, opting to release movies like Dune and Godzilla vs. Kong on the streaming platform at the same time they hit theaters. They claimed that the move prevented their clients from realizing their full back-end potential because those payouts were tied to box office performance. Warner Brothers quickly worked to make things right, paying out over $250 million in back-end deals to the likes of Will Smith for King Richard, Denzel Washington's for The Little Things, and Gal Gadot for Wonder Woman 1984, and Patty Jenkins, by the way, for Wonder Woman. But most of the haggling took place behind closed doors. Johansson's case is the first to break open into view rather than being settled quietly, either through negotiation or arbitration. It appears to be emboldening other stars, with industry insiders telling Variety that several Disney actors are considering their own legal challenges. That could create a cascade effect, one that could prove costly to Disney if they have to cut talent in on a bigger piece of the overall pie. According to the suit, Johansson's contract guaranteed a wide theatrical release for Black Widow, meaning the film would have to be shown in at least 1,500 screens. Johansson's lawyers argue that everyone understood that to mean an exclusive theatrical release, which under under which Black Widow would not be available on other platforms for at least 90 to 120 days. To bolster their argument, the suit includes a 2019 email between the actress's legal team and Marvel Chief Counsel Dave Galuzzi, in which the studio uh, attorney promised a theatrical bow like our other pictures, while adding, quote, we understand that should the plan change, we would need to discuss this with you and come to an understanding as the deal is based on a series of very large box office bonuses, end quote. Agents and rival studio executives were stunned by Disney's scorched earth response to Johansson's suit. Many found it ironic that Disney was accusing Johansson of being callous about the pandemic after the company had laid off or furloughed more than 30,000 workers during the worst of COVID-19. In Marvel World, Black Widow's arc had been wrapped up in Avengers Endgame, so more sequels featuring the Russian super spy had already appeared unlikely, but the legal jockeying could limit the actress's willingness to collaborate on future Disney movies, including a Tower of Terror movie that the actress was going to to produce for the company. I'm not sure anybody's upset about that. But Johansson spot on the A-list is secure so she can afford to alienate Disney and Marvel. Other actors aren't as lucky. Marvel movies are one of the only surefire box office draws. Appearing in one can raise an actor's asking price to help them get other passion projects greenlit. Getting iced out of those superhero opportunities can stall careers, which gives Disney the upper hand. So that's all the stuff from this. There's no other news that I, at least I looked at. Um, at the time of this recording. So, so it, it appears to me mostly. So, you know, you look at this, you look at this and you're like, okay, so, um, this is just a studio being greedy and it's just, a, and then it's just a star being greedy. It's just two parties being greedy. Who's right. Um, you know, and, and I think that some of these opinions are falling prey to the tactics released by certain parties. So, um, so this is a normal thing. First of all, increasingly normal, for movie stars to negotiate back-end percentage deals based on box office performance. And it's especially common with Marvel movies, uh, most notably with Robert Downey Jr. with Captain America Civil War. He negotiated a back-end um, bonus deal that if the film opened bigger than The Winter Soldier did, um, he would get a certain cut of the profits, and it did. And I think he made like $50 million or something off Civil War. And the whole idea being you know, 
you're taking less up front maybe than you otherwise would ask for, but you're saying, Hey, if the movie does well, it has a lot to do with the fact that my face and my name are on the poster and we're in the marketing materials and people came to the theaters to see in part me. And that's why those deals even have even carry any weight whatsoever. So, um, same thing here with Scarlett Johansson. You know, they're saying she made $20 million already um, with this movie and she should. So that to me was shitty to do because they're basically saying, hey, you know, she's already made millions. That's almost a, a ploy to get the public turned against her. Hey, well, she's already a millionaire. So, you know, wh- why should she get more? Because they're saying that's what was on the piece of paper that everybody signed. Um I think the I think one of the articles said she's missing out on roughly fifty million dollars in um in 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 uh, payout. This is this is really huge and and good for her for doing it. I know that they're saying like, you know, not everyone can be as lucky as Scarlett Johansson to be able to survive the fallout of this lawsuit if she burns a bridge. That's exactly why she has to do it. She can afford, especially after this settlement, to burn those bridges and just make any movies for the rest of her life if she wants to. I don't think she will want to. And this is just her getting what she's owed. Again, it just depends on what the, the piece of paper is. And the fact that a lot of people are kind of like surprised how Disney handled this. A lot of people are put, are pointing at Bob Chapek, the, the recently um, appointed CEO. It's like, is, is there the, the, the scuttlebutt is that he has a lot less of a relationship or an, a knack for talking to stars about compensation and that this is an example of that. This is an example of what Bob Iger was great at and what Bob Chapek allegedly is not good at. Um, but Disney are acting like jerks in front of the entire in- industry. You know, if you attempt character assassination after one of your legacy stars simply tries to enforce their contract, no one's going to want to work with you. Like, let's flip the script. No one's going to want to work with Scarlett Johansson after she after she sues over the money. Who's going to want to work with Disney? You're trying to attack more ta- attract more talent to these things. And by the way, Disney, not Marvel, because Disney controlled the distribution of this. Marvel didn't have a choice. You want to attract movie stars to work for Marvel and therefore Disney. But when stuff like this happens, that makes them go, um, no thanks. Especially if they're smaller stars who are critically acclaimed but not don't have a lot of financial juice, like Haley Steinfeld, why would she get involved? For example, just one example. So it, it is it is a big deal. And by the way, notice that their rebuttal wasn't them saying, "Hey, um, actually, in the verbiage, there's a, an act of God clause which allows us to 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 do this in the event of you know such a thing like a pandemic." Instead, they're basically saying, um, "Shut up and you suck and you don't care about the pandemic and you already made enough money." So, which to me means they didn't think she would do it, and they're doubling down on being dicks, leading to me to believe she tried to resolve this privately first and was probably told to fuck off. That's kind of what this stinks of to me is. This was a dispute that was handled internally. This is what I think. I think this, I think they, I think her team attempted, I think they were going over the box office and someone on her team was like, oh, hey, by the way, um, just want to bring this to your attention. And, you know, we should probably think about legal action. And she's probably like, okay, sure, let's do it. Like, yeah, like, I, yeah. And I'm guessing Disney was like, um, no, sorry. And um, that's going to be the end of that. And she was like, no. So in other words, I don't think this is simply corporate greed by itself. I think there's some kind of added personal spite. Um, but it is bigger than just one person because the, a lot of the Pixar people apparently are in a similar boat with Luca and 
Soul, and Onward with putting those movies straight out to Disney Plus. They didn't even charge money. At least they charged money for for Black Widow. They didn't charge any money for the Pixar movies. I think one of the articles kind of stated that what comes standard in contracts is something called an arbitration clause, which Disney would likely fight really hard to enforce, which would cause all of this to be handled in private. So what it does may not have lasting impact because the result might not be reported on, you know, you, you know, if they settle and part of the settlement agreement is it's undisclosed, you're never going to really know the outcome of the trial. And I think maybe that's why it's so important to do this publicly on the front end. Um, although I don't know what that accomplishes other than to say, Hey, don't trust Disney. And for people to be like, Hey, aren't movie stars petty. And I just don't think that's what happened here. I think that there was a breach of contract, but you know, there's an article here on IndieWire, speaking of um, streaming services and Hollywood talent, Netflix, uh, um, sorry, um, Scott Stuber, who is the head of original films at Netflix, told Variety, I'm going to do everything I can to get Christopher Nolan's next movie. So this is by Zach Scharf. He says, if and when Nolan comes up with his new movie, it's about can we be a home for it and what would we need to do to make that happen, which is an interesting and refreshing thing considering what we just talked about having a streaming service actually like really interested and willing to 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 put out for a filmmaker uh, he's an incredible filmmaker i'm going to do everything i can in this business i've learned you need to have zero ego i get punched and knocked down and get back up that's an interesting thing zero ego how often do you hear that from an, a movie executive while Stuber will try as he might to lure Nolan to Netflix, the streaming executive is well aware such an endeavor is an uphill battle. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal in April, Stuber noted that Netflix's lack of global distribution is perhaps the biggest, driving the biggest business wedge between Nolan and the streaming giant. He says, I think there are suspects, I think there are aspects of global distribution on this in the cinema that are still appealing, Stuber said. Chris Nolan and I have spoken quite a bit, and it's still something he wants deeply. If we can provide that, it will still be an issue. It will. If we can't provide that, it will still be an issue for him. So it is something to consider. As much as people like me even will say, like, "Hey, streaming is kind of the future," and, and mixed mixed distribution or hybrid distribution models are the future, and I still do believe that. You can't just say, "Hey, we're going to put it on streaming," or you can put it nowhere. Um, the flip side of that coin is you still have to cater to these people. You know, they do have power, a lot of it. And the minute you try to push them out and this, maybe we're getting a glimpse of what happens when studios try to uh, strong arm the talent when it comes to streaming deals. It sort of tells me that you got to really make sure you know what you're signing and make sure that they don't try any fuckery to get you to, um, to, to walk away empty handed or, or less handed. Um, Speaking of studio fuckery, <laughs> from Deadline by Mike Fleming Jr., um, did Johnny Depp's fall from grace prompt MGM to bury the Japan mercury poisoning drama Minamata? So, um, maybe a lot of people haven't heard about this film, but I just wanted to bring this up because um, I thought this was interesting, a nice little button to film news this week. From the article, director Andrew Levitas has sent a letter of complaint to MGM and others to protest what he claims is a decision to, quote, bury the film Minamata because of the personal baggage of its star, Johnny Depp. 
The film lays bare the scandalous neglect that the Chiso Corporation displayed in the Japanese coastal city where locals were ravaged by mercury poisoning with chemicals dumped into the waters by a factory which spread to a local population through the ingestion of fish. It was exposed in the 1950s. The film was acquired last fall, shortly after MGM relaunched American International Pictures, the former B-movie factory hatched in the 50s by Samuel Arkoff and after the film debuted it at the Berlinale that year. The plan was a day-and-date theatrical-slash-VOD release for the film in February, a date that came and went. The deal was made as Depp was exchanging barbs with his former wife Amber Heard and defending himself from accusations from charges of physical and verbal abuse as part of a libel case against British tabloid The Sun, which Depp lost. After the deal was made, Depp posted that Warner Brothers had asked him to resign the role of Grindelwald in the Harry Potter spinoff, the Fantastic Beasts franchise. Mads Mikkelsen was tapped to replace him last November. Deadline got a copy of Andrew Levitas's letter, along with photos of suffering and deformities that came from the mercury poisoning. Um, so I'm going to read the letter in full, and you can go check out the article and look at the pictures as well. So this was written on July 26, 2021. To MGM Minamata Team. Roughly a year ago, MGM purchased the North American rights to the film Minamata after reviewing it at the after viewing it at the Berlinale. MGM was intent on bringing to light the suffering of the thousands of victims of one of the most heinous industrial pollution incidents the world has ever seen. In re-exposing their pain and the sharing of their story, this long marginalized community hoped for only one thing: to lift history from the shadows so that other innocents would never be afflicted as they have. And it seemed in that moment, with MGM's partnership, a decades-long wish was finally coming true. Now, imagine the devastation when they learned this past week that despite an already successful global rollout, MGM had decided to, quote, bury the film, in the words of acquisitions head Mr. Sam Woolman. Because MGM was concerned about the possibility that the personal issues of an actor in the film could reflect negatively upon them, and that, from the MGM's perspective, the victims and their families were secondary to this. The letter continues, In a stark reminder of the Chiso Corporation's actions in Minamata, and far too many other large corporations' unethical tactics, sound familiar? MGM stated that it would live up to its legal obligation, and nothing more. In doing so, MGM is making a conscious decision to hurt these innocents yet again, callously trampling on their lives, their legacy, their dead loved ones, and their bravery. We sat with Tomoko Imura's father in Minamata as he spoke in a deeply pained voice, a pain that no one should ever feel, the pain of a lost child, a child who suffered every single day of their life, a child who was one of many born horribly deformed because of a large, faceless corporation didn't live up to their moral obligation to humanity, decency, and righteousness. He spoke with wisdom, grace, and unimaginable dignity. Yes, you are legally within your rights to bury their story as so many have done before, but you have a moral obligation to do better than that, and at a minimum we implore you to speak directly to Mr. Amora and the other victims and offer them the dignity of understanding firsthand why you think an actor's personal life is more important than their dead children, their siblings, their parents, and all victims of industrial pollution and corporate malfeasance. We hope you take a moment to reflect on the impact the decisions large corporations like MGM have on others and recognize your opportunity to make a substantive difference in the lives of those who continue to suffer in unfathomable ways. 
People all over the world are victimized by corporations who do not value them or consider them as real, and you have the power to help them by simply living up to your moral commitment to support this film. As the great freedom fighter Tiro Kawamoto said, this is the fight for all humanity, and all those involved in this story and this fight more broadly implore MGM to be the solution to usher in a turning point in so many lives and reconsider its decision to actively hinder the distribution and promotion of Minamata. I enclose a selection of Eugene Smith's images from 50 years ago, which which pricked the conscience of the world, as well as a link to one of the victims, Shinobu Sakamoto, talking about her experience in hopes that Mr. Woolman and MGM will be reminded of their humanity, their responsibilities, and how rare the opportunity they hold in their hands is. We remain steadfast that MGM will land on the right side of these issues, and such as the, uh, the filmmakers, the victims, and their families, various NGOs and GOs, and more, all eagerly await the opportunity to work together. Sincerely, Andrew Levitas, Director, Professor Andrew Levitas, NYU Gallatin, Metalwork Pictures. So, of course, the irony here is lost on no one, that a large, faceless corporation is choosing to bury a film depicting another large, faceless corporation that harmed a bunch of people because they don't want to harm themselves, potentially, by releasing a film they fear may damage them, the family stories be damned. Um, so, again, corporations aren't people. They're not going to do what's in the best interests of people uh, unless it is also aligned with increased money for this corporation. So uh, just to remind you that their businesses are businesses, but there is such a thing as ethics and a certain ideal that whether realistic or not, we want our corporations to live up to. We want to think, and especially filmmakers and storytellers and very you know kind-hearted people people and well-intentioned artists really want corporations to do better and to do kind of what's not in their best interest money-wise in order to live up to a certain moral obligation. So I have mixed feelings about this. It's not really (laughs) realistic or fair uh, in a way to ask a corporation to do something that they think is not that good. Um, I also say this, shelving a movie, I mean, I mean, just because the star is having issues, I don't know. I don't think that would have had a, an adverse effect, especially during COVID. Like if, if, if the director is mostly concerned about the story not being told as opposed to profits, put it on Amazon prime, let people see it. People are smart enough. They're not going to go, Oh, I can't believe you made a movie with Johnny Depp. People like Johnny Depp. This is from CNET by Jennifer Bissett. Uh, Lucasfilm hires the deepfake YouTuber who fixed the Mandalorian. So there, there was a ruckus in the season two finale of the Mandalorian where Luke Skywalker shows up, spoiler alert, and uh, the the face replacement on him was super bad. It looked terrible. It looked like a silly video game character. People freaked out. People were angry. And, uh, and it just looked bad. Uh, then came along a new YouTuber known as Shamuk, Shamuk, uh, whose Mandalorian deepfake, uh, which he put out in December has earned nearly 2 million views, uh, and did a way better job of de-aging Mark Hamill. Um, so he put out a statement himself. He quote, as some of you may already know, I joined ILM Lucasfilms a few months ago and haven't had time to work on any new YouTube content. And he wrote that in a comment section of one of his videos. Now that I've settled into my job, uploads should start increasing again. They'll still be slow, but hopefully not months apart. His job title is fa- senior facial capture artist. Lucasfilm confirmed the new hire. They said ILM is always on the lookout for talented artists and have in fact hired the artist that goes by the online persona Shamuk. 
said, says Lucasfilm. Over the past several years, ILM has been investing in both machine learning and AI as a means to produce compelling visual effects work, and it's been terrific to see momentum building in this space as the technology advances. This is really cool. Uh, this is what we all dream of, right? You, you, when you have opinions about how a company or production ruins something and you can do it better, it's the ultimate validation for the company to acknowledge it and further to actually hire you on. I remember when, among other people, um, m- among other people online, Dustin um, really quickly fixed um, the the bad character design of Sonic the Hedgehog for their um, recently released film, and uh, and it looked really good. And uh, I'm sure other people did the same thing. I remember specifically Dustin did it in like five minutes on Photoshop. It looked way better. A few months later, the filmmakers were like, "We fixed it," and they, sh- they had, there was a new trailer with a newly designed Sonic. And it looked great. And it looked a lot like Dustin's design because that design looked a lot like the original character design of Sonic and it looked right. So it wasn't Dustin or was it? But the idea being that like people will listen and if you do a better job, certain companies are not above going, yeah, yeah, we did kind of beef that one. Let's 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 hire this person. That's really cool. Speaking of the Mandalorian, that brings me to this weekend in streaming or this past couple of weeks in streaming. I do this once every two weeks, so I'm not, it's not, it's not always going to be, you know, real oh, it's streaming coming up this week. I'm, I'm trying to cover a large time range here, so I'm doing my best here. So in Netflix, um, recently on there that I can recommend to you on August 1st, they, Netflix now is in possession of Catch Me If You Can. You should check that movie out. Also, The Edge of 17, speaking earlier of Haley Steinfeld. I love The Edge of 17. I reviewed it on the podcast. Go back and listen to my review, um, but I would recommend people see that for sure. There's also Hit and Run, which I haven't seen, but a Dex Shepard's movie, but I, I kind of want to check it out, so I might be checking out Hit and Run now that it's on Netflix. i got nothing on here for Hulu, although on August 1st, over on Amazon... They now have the film Mud, which I think is also on Hulu, but um, I the Jeff Nichols film. Uh, I want to check out Mud. I've been told I should see it. On August 6th, today, they are dropping that documentary, Val, the Val Kilmer documentary. Um, I know Dustin wants to check that out for sure. Disney Plus, also today, they have Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, come on. That's just a classic. HBO Max, um, August 1st, they became in possession of the Shawshank Redemption, so obviously... I recommend people watch the Shawshank Redemption. Episode 317 is dropping on Monday. So episode 318 of the of the movie hour is going to be The Suicide Squad, the new film by James Gunn on HBO Max and in theaters. Uh, so if you are going to see that or you're interested in seeing hearing our opinions about that, that's going to be our next thing. Have a good one. Stay safe. Stay safe. Be considerate. Okay? Seriously. Whatever. Just please be considerate of others and please just try to get along and not judge each other. I would love it personally, me personally, (laughs) I would love it. Have a good one. Cheers. Cheers.